Hello and welcome to the Unreported World podcast. I'm Krishnan Gurumurthy. This week, reporter Ramita Navai and director Talia Tibbon travel to Central America to investigate the mysterious disappearance of hundreds of young Honduran women. Following the collapse of the Honduran economy, drug cartels have gained power and Honduras is now reported to be the most murderous country on earth. It's no surprise the women were tempted by promises of well-paid jobs in nearby Mexico and sometimes the United States. Those fighting to save the missing girls say the official incompetence and corruption that allows the traffickers to operate has to end. There are some people working to achieve that, but they need help if they're to make a real difference. These mothers are laying out the pieces of a mystery. No one is certain how, but hundreds of young women in the city of Progreso are disappearing. I can see that nearly all of you have got photos. Can you explain to me who these photos are? This is my daughter, Martha. I've no idea what's happened to her. Now and again, a mother receives an anguished call from a missing daughter. But then the phone is snatched away and the fate of the missing girls sinks back into mystery. One of those who helps organize the mothers is Rosanelli Santos. We've cried with a mother's feeling. We have no answers. We suffer. It's unbelievably sad. They're all absolutely devastated by it. This woman just broke down crying, telling me about her daughter, Maria. The mothers lay out the photos, hoping someone will recognize the face of a lost child. Pilar Escobar's daughter disappeared two years ago. This is my daughter, Olga. She never said she was going away. The mothers say there have only been a few police inquiries, so they've set up their own investigations office. These are the cases. Inside, Editor Maldonado and Marcia Martinez collate possible sightings of the missing girls. We start with the photo of the missing person. It includes all the information from the family. The last time she was in contact, the place from which she called. And you're trying to track down all these hundreds of girls from this tiny little office with no more than one computer and some mobile phones. (laughs) Yes, that's our job. They call us or we call them. Their work had revealed a clue. Recruiters had offered most of the girls well-paid jobs in nearby Mexico, sometimes even in the United States. And this is Doña Pilar's daughter, Olga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They showed me the file on Olga, 
whose mother I had met in the town square. She was born on July the 3rd, 1981. The last time she was heard from was when she called from the Mexican border. I wanted to investigate what had happened to Olga and thousands of other missing girls from Progreso and nearby cities. The mothers have given us a lead. They say that we should look in Tapachula. It's a town near the Mexican border. It's in Mexico. And the mothers say they've seen many Honduran girls working there. It's no surprise the girls were tempted by promises of work. Since a military coup three years ago, the Honduran economy has collapsed. The drug cartels have gained ever more power and Honduras has become the most murderous country on earth. To get to Mexico, the missing girls and their recruiters would first have left Honduras and crossed into neighboring Guatemala. This is the main highway that cuts all the way through Guatemala, and it's over 10 hours from the border of Honduras to the border of Mexico, and at this point, the women are full of hope, thinking they're either going to the United States or going to respectable jobs in Mexico. We reach the southern border of Mexico. It's really early in the morning, and you can see already just how many migrants are crossing from Guatemala to Mexico. Officially, it's hard for Hondurans to enter Mexico. But at the illegal crossing of Tecunumán, there's no need for visas. All it takes is the equivalent of 50 pence to pay a ferryman. Incompetence or corruption means the Mexican border authorities do nothing. Hola. Look how near we are to the official border crossing. And these guys don't seem to care at all. We're right under the noses of the official immigration patrols there. And they just carry on. He's laughing now. He knows what I'm saying. And look, you can see just the amount of illegal traffic that's crossing this river right here. This was the route the missing girls would have followed. Crossing illegally meant that once in Mexico, there would be no record of their existence. Near the river was Tapachula, the border town the mothers of the missing girls had told me about. I'd arranged to meet a Catholic priest, an outspoken champion of vulnerable migrants. His work brings Father Alejandro Solalinde Guerra constant death threats. Todos los, los migrantes, las personas migrantes, para la delincuencia organizada, para algunas corporaciones policíacas. All migrants are a commodity for organized crime. For some police, for corrupt officials, they aren't people, they're goods. Las, las a hacer, eh, 
women are forced into pornography or taken to brothels. The sex industry is vast. So is official complicity, corruption and the absence of justice. I followed Father Alejandro's advice and went to the heart of Tapachula's red light district. I hoped I'd find out more about the fate of the missing girls. The mothers travelled all the way from Honduras to this bar here because they got a tip-off that one of their missing daughters was spotted working in here. But when they showed everyone the photo of her, nobody recognised her. I spoke to many women in bars in the area. I discovered most of them are Honduran. The bar and brothel owners kept constant watch on them. The girls were too scared to talk to me. The next morning, we had a breakthrough. We finally had contact from one young woman who said that we can film with her, but only if we don't reveal her identity. She was Honduran and wanted to meet outside of town, away from the gaze of the bar owners. Ashley crossed the river two years ago. She was 17 and left two young children behind. She and her sister were promised well-paid waitressing jobs. Instead, the traffickers delivered them to a brothel. Were you forced to have sex with a client the first day you arrived there? Yes, every day. They forced me to go with clients. If I wouldn't, they would slap me and make me. They would threaten to hurt my sister and my family. What was the first time like when you had to have sex with a client? What was going through your mind then? I acted as if nothing had happened, but deep down I was very wounded. I thought, if my kids or mum realise, what will they think of me? For nearly two years, she was one of the missing girls, guarded and watched. I lived with another girl who would not let me go anywhere. If I went to buy food, she would come with me. She would not let me have a private life. Eventually, Ashley managed to call the Honduran consulate and was rescued. She'd been too scared to call the local police, as many were regular clients. She's still in Mexico. She can't face telling her parents what happened. What do you miss most about Honduras? I miss my kids, my mother and father, my family. I contacted Patricia Villamil, the former Honduran consul who'd arranged Ashley's rescue. 
Patricia told me she'd recently been fired. She believes for criticizing the Honduran and Mexican authorities for failing to rescue more missing girls. Extreme poverty means these women can be lured away. They're tricked and told they're going to Mexico to earn a better salary. Who's responsible for this? Who are the traffickers? It's a network of traffickers that spreads from Honduras throughout Mexico. Trafficking women and children is more profitable than drugs for the traffickers. She told me in the eight months she was consul, the Mexican authorities received over 200 calls from missing Honduran girls. Only a fraction were rescued. She says one of the most frustrating things for her is that the authorities are not helping these girls. She says nobody is helping these girls. She went on to meet a Honduran woman searching for a missing relative. Patricia may no longer be the consul, but she still gives people help. I thank God for putting you in my way, and thank you for the money that allowed me to call my son. The traffickers want her to stop. Because of Patricia's work exposing sex trafficking, she's received many threats, written letters, saying if she doesn't stop what she's doing, she'll be killed. traveled further into Mexico to a favorite haunt of drug traffickers. We're driving to the biggest red light district in the whole state of Chiapas. It's in the town of Wixland. It's got the highest number of bars and brothels, as well as the highest number of sex workers. Away from the camera, I discovered many of the sex workers in Wixler were Hondurans, some trafficked recently. One Honduran woman agreed to tell me her story. She's one of the disappeared. She's abandoned all contact with her family. Dunya told me that when she realized she'd been sold to a brothel, she fled, but she was chased by armed men. Now she doesn't attempt to escape. Prostitution has become the only world she knows. This is how these cantinas work. The girls serve beers from here. We can't film the clients, but there's a whole group of men behind us with three girls. They sit at tables here, and when they want to have sex, they choose their girl, and they come to the back rooms here. Like other trafficked women I'd met, she felt contacting her family would expose her to humiliation and disgrace. Being here can mess your head up. A woman may escape, but they end up traumatized. Their heads are screwed up. I have suffered from depression. I can be mopping the floor and the tears will fall from my eyes. I say to myself, what am I doing here? How did I end up in such places?
Hola, Luis. ¿Cómo estás? Luis Villagran es a human rights activist who campaigns against the traffickers. He told me the answer to the mystery of the missing girls was all around us. Muchas de las mujeres que trabajan en estos lugares están desaparecidas. Many of the women who work here are the disappeared. Their families in Honduras have spent years without hearing from them. They are invisible victims. Who's responsible? Who's doing this? There exist mafias of recruiters, mafias even more powerful than the drug traffickers. He claimed the authorities did little to combat the trade. Often, they were part of it. Al menos en esta región son las policías municipales las que principalmente extorsionan, trafican. In this region, it's the municipal police who extort, traffic, exploit, and worsen the prostitution situation. He says that the police go almost daily to these bars and brothels, extorting money out of them. He says that other organizations he works with have heard the same testimony, he says, but it's really hard to prove because people are so scared. It's too dangerous, it's not something that you can film. We approached the Honduran and Mexican authorities. They declined to comment on the allegations raised in this program. There was still an absent piece in the puzzle of the missing girls. I wanted to meet a trafficker who'd recruited Honduran girls and sold them. We've been trying to find out exactly how these girls are being trafficked, but it's obviously hard to penetrate this world. We've been put in touch with a man who says he was involved. He's agreed to speak to us, but only on condition of anonymity. The trafficker was Honduran. He'd started out smuggling drugs, but then his bosses decided his charm made him an ideal recruiter. Where were you finding the girls? Mainly in the city squares, in shopping centers. You would chat with them, trick them, offer money for a decent job. For example, cleaning or looking after a lady. When they arrived, it was a different situation. Business had boomed. He said he'd sold up to 40 girls a day, each for $100. What were the actual jobs that the girls were being trafficked over for? Sex. Sex. What would happen when the women would say that they didn't want to do this? They had to. They either did it or they did it. They'd get raped. Many times. While he waited to sell the girls, he kept them in captivity. Did any of them ever try to escape? They can't. There are walls. There's security. We kept them by force, with death threats, locked up. We did what we had to do. You become selfish. You stop caring. He claimed he was no longer involved in trafficking. 
Honduras. I wanted to meet Doña Pilar again. Doña Pilar. Hola. I couldn't give her any news about her missing daughter, Olga. Although, after all I'd seen, I could guess what had happened to her. This is one of the twins that she left me. She is the eldest, and the little boy is the youngest. These are Olga's children. These are the children she left behind, and these are the children she left this country for. She went looking for work so she could support her family. <laughs> That little room is where she used to live. She would comb her hair here. It's my first memory of her. It has affected us a lot. Such sadness. She cries at night remembering her. She says that she's having to sacrifice herself now to feed her grandchildren and her grandchildren cry every night. They want their mum back. Those fighting to save the missing girls say the official incompetence and corruption that allows traffickers to operate has to end. I'd met people working to achieve that, but they need help. Our thanks to Ramita Navai. Well, that's all for spring 2012. The next series of Unreported World will be with you in the autumn. Till then, you can watch previous episodes at channel4.com slash unreportedworld. For now, from me, Krishnan Guru Murthy, goodbye.